1: I'm good, brother. How you doing, man? Fantastic. It's getting cold as fuck out here, though. I'm not into that.
0: Yeah, see. Seasons, man. Seasons change. Life is seasonal. It's I wonder how seasonal. many
1: podcasts we're gonna start with me saying it's getting cold. You gotta man up.
0: <laughs> and on today's episode of the Music <laughs> Business Podcast, we have Charles Meyer. Um, Charles is a talent buyer at Lifestyle. Lifestyle is one of the biggest live event production companies in the world. Um, they've put on events with uh they have a lot of different sub brands as well as just Festival brands, so some of the ones that you guys may be most familiar with are Made Events, Electric Zoo, All My Friends, uh, one of our past guests, MJ, uh, who runs a company called Seer Assets, also does a lot of marketing for a lot of the lifestyle events, including Electric Zoo Made Events, so the uh, world's just getting smaller every day on the Music Business Podcast. Yeah, man. With that said, really excited to dive into today's episode with Charles because... To be on the side of the table as somebody that's making the decisions as to who they want to book at these major festivals, at different shows, different major venues is really interesting, right? Because I know a lot of listeners are actual artists or artist teams. So they're trying to figure out how can they get booked. So this is really good because it shares a lot of very valuable perspective as to what talent buyers are actually looking for, what sort of data they're tracking, um, how they identify and make those decisions on who to book. And then also... For you guys as listeners, like how you can negotiate better booking rates. Charles actually was kind enough to share some of the different factors and kind of uh, this, yeah, some of the different factors as to how they'll negotiate different pricing rates based on certain weekends or timing or dates. So I think these are all different things that you guys can keep in mind as you begin to enter more and more conversations when it comes to, to bookings. What do you think, Jordan? I mean, I I thought it was really interesting because I don't really interact with, like, buyers that much because normally
1: the artists that I work with, they have booking agents. So, like, when we have booking agents on here, I can kind of get into the mind of a booking agent a little bit. You know, when we have... License or, licenses on here, you know, other managers on here. These are people that I interact with on a daily basis. Buyers are people I don't interact with too often. And I think a lot of our listeners don't interact with buyers too often. So I was excited when you told me we could get Charles on here, not just for the listeners, but for me, because I really don't interact with them that much. So um, we get into that. He's a DJ himself. We get into that a little bit, how they interact with
0: each other. And um, yeah, really excited for everybody to hear it. For sure. And, Always grateful in the space of live event promotion. Uh, we record our podcast here at Bands in Town Studio in New York City. And when it comes to promoting live events too, um, Bands in Town is just an incredible app. It's a re- great way to interact with your fans, notify them about upcoming events in key markets. So if you guys haven't already, definitely check out Bands in Town. I know Jordan uses it very actively for all the artists, team managers. Um, Every day. I have to use Bands in Town literally when
1: we're done recording this. Literally. Scheduling and scheduling announce tomorrow for an artist
0: via Bands in Town. There we go. Well, without any further ado, let's jump into the show. Charles, what's happening? Welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Um, I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you on. I think uh, you have a unique perspective on the other side of the table. We definitely, a lot of our listeners are artists or artist teams, and I think uh, always focused on helping them grow in tactics and social media and this and that. But I think uh, live is such a critical component and really diving deep into the perspective of kind of the talent buying uh, the through the lens of the talent buyers to be super exciting for our audience.
2: Yeah, I hope I can provide
0: some insight. Yeah. Yeah, I, Us too, Charles. I, <laughs> he's like, actually, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I
1: don't know who you thought I was.
2: <laughs> I mean, honestly, I still I consider myself like uh, still very much learning. Yeah, I'm very much under the wing of my mentor in the talent buying world. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't consider myself to be like... A genius, but totally. I do like
0: to talk to my yes. friends. <laughs> sure. wine, so. Here we go. Here we, here we are. Nice. Um cool man. So for starters, I know you work with Lifestyle, uh, and I think there's a lot of different like event promotion groups and companies. Um, can you just talk and set the stage as to kind of what Lifestyle is as an entity and some of the different properties or event series that are most popular?
2: Yeah, definitely. It's actually a pretty interesting story. Um I mean, most of, people, most of the people in the industry know that it's uh, formerly known as SFX Entertainment, which uh, was created in 2012, 2011, 2012, when a man named Robert Sillerman decided to um, try and buy up as much of the dance music industry as he could all at once um, and put it all together into a company. Because he did this back in the 90s with the rock world, and he thought he could do it again, no problem. Um, didn't turn out so great. Um, actually three months after I started at SFX, we went into
0: bankruptcy. Wow. Um, so. What does
1: that look like for you if you're working there? Like what, they bring you into a room? was like, hey man. um,
0: We can't pay you. Yeah. It's it's
1: over dog.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully they continued to pay me. Um, I mean, my salary was not, uh, very substantial at the time, but they did. They never missed a check. But it was kind of a trip because, like, the vast majority of our like, 200-person entourage-looking office was, mm-hmm. was uh, slashed. And wow. then we ended up moving into a WeWork mm-hmm. in Soho with, like, 15 of us. Wow. Damn. And, you know, every, everybody, my coworkers, other people in the industry, they're like, how are you hanging on? Like, are you scared? And I was just like, everything's fine. My boss, <laughs> My boss continually reassured me, like— you're part of this for the long haul, so don't worry. And mm-hmm. I was like, great, okay. I'll just ride it all the way down or all the way back up or whatever happens. Right. Like, sounds good. Like for sure. Um, so it actually did kind of turn turn back up um quite a bit. We got out of bankruptcy. We had we got new owners, new management, a new name. And then the new CEO who came over from AEG. Um Randy Phillips, he brought on Gary Richards, which is cool for me. I was like, since I was a little baby raver, I was like, Destructo, hard. Yeah, like,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and then within like, I don't know, six months after that, I was working directly with Gary on The Friendship, which is the new new holy ship
0: mm-hmm. per, uh, per se. Just like a big cruise for all the listeners that aren't familiar. Crazy cruise ship turned into a fucking party music right. festival. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> Haven't yeah.
2: been. So, um, yeah, the, the journey has been really inter- interesting.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So as far as some of the lifestyle properties, because even like you mentioned AEG, and it's like you have a lot of these like behind-the-scenes brands that fans aren't necessarily familiar with, but these are some of the biggest movers. These, these, these behind-the-scenes entities are some of the biggest movers and shakers responsible for throwing some of the biggest parties and event productions around the world. So what are some of the like brands or party series that are I mean aside you mentioned uh friendship okay so I'll back back it up all the way
2: chronologically when I first uh, got the job offer with SFX the main reason I was so interested was because uh we were SFX was responsible at the time for mystery land USA mm. um, which uh, I had heard amazing things about I hadn't actually been but I just saw this amazing content and right. my friends at Hang on, like did a stage yeah. there, and it just looked like a blast. Something I really resonated with. Um, that was one of our events. I ended up getting to like book like a quarter of the lineup for the 2017 edition, and then we canceled the festival. Wow. Um, this is all during the time of bankruptcy and mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. uncertainty. Um, but that was actually a great experience for me in a way. I can get back to that later. Mm-hmm. Some of the other brands. Um, I mean, I'll start with our operating companies. Besides Made in New York, we have Disco Donnie Presents, which is kind of disseminated all over the country, mm-hmm. but it came from the South, like Louisiana, um, and it's one of the oldest like rave promoters in, like ever in the U.S. since wow. like, the, like the early mid '90s or whatever. It's awesome. Um, and Donnie still runs the thing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it's cool, cool to be a part of. And then we have all my friends, which is. A Gary Richards' new newish brand on the West Coast. Um, this weekend, they, we have All My Friends Festival in downtown L.A. And then in January, we have the Friendship, which I mentioned earlier, is a cruise festival going from Miami to the Bahamas and back. And then finally, um, I used to work on Life in Color. And then Life in Color transformed into a new brand called Blank Canvas, um, and I booked shows for that brand at Club Space for a year. Um, and then we ended up closing that office um, so that no longer is in existence. And then lastly, we have React as part of Lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I don't
0: work directly on those events, mm-hmm. um, but that that's part of our company. That's yeah. awesome, man. And then, I mean, your focus is primarily identifying talent to book, helping build out lineups, negotiating deals, yeah, that sums it up more or less. Anything yeah. else? Well, I should say um I
2: my bot like my direct boss um he really runs point on all of our festivals and has me like help administratively mm-hmm. advise him on some of the artists and like mm-hmm. the, the running order and stuff. Um and has me like fill a few slots on my own. Um as for my own full on like my own projects. I'm doing more club size shows mm-hmm. for Disco Donnie as well as for Made in New York. Cool. And I was doing them for all my friends in mm-hmm. in LA for a while, um, but we kind of restructured and they got some they got a buyer locally to cool. work uh, physically in person with
0: Gary. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's interesting because it's kind of like a A&R when it comes to like finding talent for a label except you're doing it from the live perspective, yeah. Yeah, um, definitely.
2: There is that element to it. Um, you know, I would say a quarter of quarter of the work is like trying to f- identify and build like new artists mm-hmm. or artists who are just starting to like get that national right. attention. But then obviously the big contracts are what we have to like focus most of our time on. Right. Mm-hmm. And so these are all artists that we're not like finding these people. Right. They're people sure. who have established themselves for years
0: and totally yeah yeah
1: um what does it look like if you like an artist that hasn't bubbled enough yet so like obviously labels can kind of take risks on smaller artists but if you take a risk as a talent buyer then you're you're you may not sell the amount of tickets you want it's like very direct um as opposed to you know with a label you can kind of develop acts or with management you can sort of develop acts so what happens when you find an artist where you're like Man, this person is is really good at what they do. I want them on one of my stages, but they're just not ready yet.
2: Yeah. Um, usually when I first started doing this stuff, I would like get really passionate and try and make it happen, try and convince everybody. <laughs> now it's just like, no, like <laughs> get your numbers up, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you want to do things that are at the right point for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. So it actually is responsible for for all parties. If you do it that way, totally. um, but yeah, I mean, once in a while, there's like an up and coming like house artist who is everybody's kind of the chatter in the industry. From what I gather, is like everyone's kind of unsure. They're like, "Oh yeah, I think it's hyped. I think it's popular." Like, "Oh, he had this number one hit, but like, is it really going to do anything for us? Mm-hmm. Take it wise." And there's a lot of uncertainty and maybe you really need to fill the date coming up and that artist is available <laughs> and like you just you can just kind of do it because right. everybody's like all right might as well try it we need to fill the date and it's going to be cheap totally so i'll try and sway those those situations towards stuff that i'm really passionate about mm-hmm. right. that's
0: new and
2: promising when i can yeah sure that's awesome
0: when it comes to some of these bigger artists i mean is how much of it is uh, intuition and judgment versus using data sources to see clearly that x artist has sold out um x y and z venues in these major markets all of which have 5000 person capacities for hard ticket shows i mean like how much of it is is intuition versus like a very like objective quantitative approach to like who sold how many tickets where i would say
2: we rely on the numbers first because that's that's how we can make a case to our partners and stakeholders and anybody else that needs to approve. Um, And then where there is uncertainty, that's when the intuition can come into play Mm. more often than not. Right, 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 right. For sure.
1: I know in, um, in my experience as a manager, in terms of booking, for example, one of our clients is going to Europe next year, and the size room that he's able to book is very, very tied to the size that he did the last time he was there and if he sold it out, even though... He's got so much content coming out. You know the stuff that he's doing is great. It's like, well, what? How many people came out to buy tickets? Physically showed up. It like doesn't even matter that all of this stuff came out. It's like, how, how many people actually saw him the last time he was here? Mm-hmm. And then let's start the conversation there. Right. You know.
2: I would definitely uh, uh, agree that that's how that's the general attitude with the people that I worked with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's how. You, like, because if you're gonna take that risk. Like, and then the show loses money, and everyone's looking at you. Like, why did you think he could sell double the tickets this time? Like, <laughs> like, did you just right. think like magic just happens? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it needs to be incremental for sure, right? And we do
1: that also when we're when we're booking support. It's like, well, how what's their draw? Like, what how what did they do in the market the last time they were here? It's yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's it's a little bit less in my experience than like. Signing someone to a management contract or signing someone to a record deal. It's a little bit less of that and more of like, well, what did they, where's the
2: proof? Right. Is is how it feels to me, at least. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Every, everybody says, what's the history? What's the ticket history? Check the right. history. Right. It's Yeah. And I didn't know that's how it worked at all until, you know, I started like doing this four years ago or whatever. Yeah. And it actually kind of makes sense if you think about it. Yeah. Oh, for <laughs> like, sure. Like everything yeah. in life, like. If it's been done once, you can, that's your best bet to replicate something. Yeah. Right.
1: This is also such a a physical thing to do, right? So like if you're, if you're forecasting album sales, for example, that could just be based on how many people want to listen to your album that first week. Right. You know what I mean? They can do it from their computers. Somebody buying tickets and walking into a venue to see you seems much more tangible to me. Mm -hmm. You know? than, than, you know, the amount of streams they did in the first week. Because that could have just been good PR or good playlisting, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one thing that I like about live. It's like very like, it is what it is. What you see is what you get. Like, this is how many people are in the room. This is how popular you are in that market. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It's like, at least in my experience. But it does
2: suck when like an artist's reputation gets kind of like soured for a time being. um, Amongst the promoters in that market because maybe, you know, it didn't do well because it was a bad date. There was this crazy competition that night mm-hmm. or anything else that happened that day. Or like we have a, I was booking, I have, I do book shows in um, the Southeast and like the hurricane a couple of weeks wow. ago was, it really slowed down all the sales for like five days. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to, if, unless the unless people remember like a year later to be like, oh, that was because of the hurricane. Maybe, <laughs> you know, not everyone's going to be able to point that out. Right,
1: right. <laughs> right, right.
0: When it comes to, um, I mean, I think it's interesting too, and definitely want to explore both sides of this because I know you yourself are an artist and, I mean, produce your own music as well as DJ. Um, as somebody that, both looks at booking talent as well as you trying to build up your own brand and understanding that um, like from the talent buyer perspective you already alluded to this there's times where it's like there's this artist you're super passionate about that like the numbers just aren't there it's kind of hard to make the case like as an emerging artist what are what do you think is important to like really focus on so you can build that momentum because it can be hard to you have the ambition of booking these big shows and getting booked for these big shows but you might not have any booking demand right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely made me um much more real like realistic um with what the next steps are to like advance my artist career. Mm-hmm. And also like I just don't really have like these crazy ambitions with it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um I just wanna like make the music that comes out of me when I feel like making it totally. and play the shows that mm-hmm. are fun and yeah. that makes sense and I see the way these superstars like have to live and it actually doesn't seem all that healthy or appealing to me anymore. Um mm-hmm. but on the on the on the uh lower scale of things um it's made me realize like I don't know I don't need to go hitting up every promoter, every talent buyer in the country and try and play every festival cuz it looks good and I'm going to get a bunch of like attention on my post when I post that flyer like mm-hmm. That stuff's fun for a while, you know. You feel like you're accomplishing things and you, you have fun, you are accomplishing something. Um, but really you're better off just making tons, ton, like just waiting until you've made a bunch of really good music mm-hmm. and
0: then touring.
2: Right. For sure.
0: And do you think, I mean, what's the level of hustle or the optimal approach to... Start building the snowball, get the snowball rolling when it comes to like bookings. Like you just alluded of like hitting up all these promoters to try and get booked. I mean, do you think at like for early stage artists, it really just does come down to like proactive outreach to promoters? Yeah, that can help, but
2: you're only going to get so far. I mean, you need like you need like a lot of attention on your original music mm-hmm. on the internet, and your stuff is being played out by big name DJs. Right. That's like the base level, and then, yeah, you can personally reach out to promoters and get some gigs, and that's that's good, but it's not gonna like really make a big difference um unless you have like a management team who like is really focusing on like all the granular aspects of
0: mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. it takes to kind of blow you up totally yeah, no, it makes tons of sense. Build a fan base, build a base of awesome music, start to create demand, awareness, community, fans. Yeah, I mean, and it then can leverage be. that for shows rather than trying to like shortcut those foundational components and get booked without any of those things. No, I'm not saying it's impossible. Right, it's just, right, it's anomalous. For sure, for sure, for
1: sure. Uh, is there ever is there ever people that you see? Um, obviously, we just talked about passion projects, but that their live show is so good. It's like, look, man, we gotta. We gotta like, <laughs> like obviously liking somebody's music is one thing, but if you see a live show, you know directly in your directly in your wheelhouse, where it's like, man, this live show is just—it's bigger than this stage that this artist is on right now. You know, are there ever is, is there ever hype like that versus just hype for if the music is good? You know, like in the talent by oh, community. So, so I guess? the
2: performance, like the energy on stage, or sort of the personas of the. Uh Members of the group as opposed to the music itself? Is that what you're asking? Right.
1: Like, does the, mm, like, yeah. sort of how there's industry hype. We all know industry hype around artists and their music, the amount of streams they're getting, how big the record is, and they haven't performed yet. That mm-hmm. happens all the time. Yeah. But have you heard something else where it's like, yo, the music is, is, you know, it's doing okay, but this performance is everybody's talking about it, you know, and we gotta, we gotta do something, you know, we gotta bed early.
2: Yeah, that definitely happens. Like, I mean there's there's a lot of DJs out there who um aren't really uh they don't really have like crazy hits um but it's more about like the show they put on. Right. Like I mean I want to say like I don't want to discount their music cuz it's it's amazing. Right. But like I can't name like a hit like maybe that's just my own ignorance. But like the Martinez Brothers is like you want to be at that show, like mm-hmm. they just—they're up there. It's so cool. You feel so cool when you're around them, like not in like a egotistical way. Like you just like you feel like good because they give off this like swagger yeah. to them. Yeah, that—that's dope in my opinion, and uh, it makes a big difference when I'm deciding. You know, when I or one of my colleagues is deciding between uh, an artist who uh, ha- they both have. Equally good music, let's say, but I have seen one of them d j and they literally like brought the energy and like engaged with the crowd just through their body language and their whatever um and that's always gonna make a big difference because mm-hmm. that's because in live events we're throwing parties and right. that's like the thing that holds the party together mm-hmm. so does make a big difference
1: right yeah um just out of curiosity, obviously there's two sides of this like there's talent buying and there's being a booking agent have you ever thought about being a booking agent and if and if not was it like you know nah i can't do it that's not me it's it's sort of like we had somebody on here that was a music licensor and then we asked if they had ever been interested in doing music
2: supervision so right you know. yeah like because you know the other side so you have like this advantage exactly um i've no, it doesn't. I, I, I have like envisioned it, but like not in a way where like I want to do it. I just like, <laughs> had a daydream one day, like that's that would be interesting. But I never, I never wanted to. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean that's fair. Um, do you think that it's? Do you think that it's just because you know something? you... I mean, because they're not that different, right? You're interacting with them, you know, every day. So what? What about the two different sides or?
2: Um, I like being involved with like the party itself. Mm. Like that's that's key for me, like, as opposed to the artists themselves. N- well, maybe it's because I like have my own art, artistic aspirations. I, I right. don't want to like put so much energy, put that much energy into someone else. Yeah, but um, I just like being on that side because you know, like. You get to make decisions that affect like the party itself, mm-hmm. um, and as an agent, um, you you're just you're guiding the artist um, in the best way that you can, but you, you don't get to have like a a big say on like the, the features of an event. Um, right? Maybe in some cases you do if your artist has his own his or her own like event concept, but. And then number two, I—I I mean, anyone would probably agree that it's just more enjoyable to be <laughs> on the purchasing side uh-huh. than having to sell something. Yeah, yeah. We have to then turn around and sell tickets, but that's the marketing department. Right. right. <laughs> you just out here spending money. Like,
0: uh, Who's music in my fucking the, with What's today? What's the budget? Yeah. yeah. What's the <laughs> budget? Yeah. That's tight. Great point. <laughs> Oh. yeah that's cool um, when it comes to like billing and uh, like flyers and even festivals there's this behind the scenes battle of like clout chasing for how far up towards the top your artist name is and like I know even behind the scenes like they're get get Ruthless at times like you really gonna put this guy ahead of me like what are you <laughs> talking about how do you guys approach that? Like, is I'm glad, it? Is it? That's I mean, how you would sound? I'm glad yeah. you did a short reenactment of how you would sound yeah. if you were if,
1: if you were booked <laughs> in a festival in a line that you didn't like. You, that's how you gonna play me. You gonna play me like that? <laughs> I can't you wait till Sam does that yeah. in person.
2: <laughs> Yo, will you be my manager? <laughs> oh my <God. laughs>
0: you gonna play my artist like that? <laughs> so, uh, does it, uh, going back to. When we had a little conversation around this balance of kind of leading with the objective quantitative side of how many tickets an artist is selling and then coming in to supplement that with like intuition around how hot an artist is, are you taking that same kind of rationale to how you rank the the lineups and the listings?
2: Yes. Um having like empirical data to support the case is crucial. Sometimes it's just like, well, I wanna say, first of all, the way that we navigate that situation best is by being very, very clear mm-hmm. about what that flyer is gonna look like and where that artist is gonna be, in what size, what row, next to whom, before we even confirm it. So if you do that, you're golden like 99% of the time. Right. 1% of the time, there was accidentally some ambiguity, or the agent right. feels that there was ambiguity.
1: Has an artist ever, sorry to interrupt, has an artist ever wanted to switch with another
2: artist that then wanted to switch back?
1: <laughs> like, like it was like Never two artists. That.
2: Okay, yeah. Oh, you mean like one of them wanted to be lower and the other wanted to be higher. I'm saying like, let's say
1: me and Sam are next to each other. And I'm like, yo, Sam. I mean, I'm like, yo, what, Charles, why is Sam ahead of me? And then you're like, all right, we can switch. And then Sam's like, yo, what the fuck? Why is Jordan ahead of me? Where it's like that close, you know? Because yeah. I've been on the side of it where as a manager, I'm like, Yo, man, why is this in the, in the in the situation that it's in right now? Let's switch it up a bit. But Jordan I've never. Much more I've never than me.
0: How you gonna book my eyes? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: But I've never thought of once things switch. If all of a sudden you're making another group of people unhappy or another, yeah, it has a, like it has a,
2: a domino effect, right? So we don't like to make any changes if possible, right? Um, yeah, that can happen. So. Yeah, best case scenario, everybody agreed to exactly what it's going to look like beforehand. Sometimes we'll even mock up the flyer before we confirm confirm the mm. booking and show them that way. Well, if you mock up the
1: flyer, are the people on there people that you've given offers to or other people that are already confirmed?
2: Um, We'll, we'll put the confirmed ones and we might put the ones who are still pending and just
0: note like these are pending. These are pending? Yeah. Word. Cool, oh, man. Do you want to talk and dive into your own, uh, musical, like your, your kind of career and the the flip side as like a producer and DJ and the artist side? Um, can you just talk for starters, just a little bit about kind of like the, the brand, the project, the intention, the vision you currently have for that? For my artist profile? Exactly. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, so I've been producing since 2009 and DJing since 2007 and, um, I started, I've had three aliases, uh, or I should say two aliases and one non-alias because it's my real name. <laughs> um, so at first I was making like kind of more Electro, but not like, not Big Room and not like Complexro, but like the kind of like glitchy, bouncy Electro that was popular back then. I mean, some of us called it Fidget House, um, which Pretty much is like what base house is now, but base mm-hmm. house is just like more banging um and then i'm twenty thirteen I like decided to make a full switch because um, I was already playing like twenty five percent tech house in my mm-hmm. sets and and then like just a number a series of experiences led me to just wanna like do only that um so twenty thirteen to seventeen it was like. Straight up tech house, mainly like European tech house. Um, and some tech now. And then 2017, uh, actually our mutual friend MJ, Michael Julian, mm-hmm. uh past music business podcast guest. Check that out.
0: Go ahead. <laughs>
2: he uh he was like, he was like, okay, so my, my alias at the time was eel rack, um, which is just a word that nobody can understand or spell. So it, it was not probably not very effective alias to have. Um, MJ was like, you need to be Charles Meyer. You need to be Charles Meyer now. Mm-hmm. Trust me. <laughs> I've been in this industry decades. I'm marketing director, Charles Meyer, that's it. Mm-hmm. And I, it took me like four months said, from him it. planting that seed <laughs> in my head until I finally was like...
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but the the music didn't change at that point. I was doing like what I, what I was feeling at the time mm-hmm. um, and I still am but I will say lately I've gotten much more like like I I, I don't want to just do like only European tech house um, I've kind of like opened my mind back up to like whatever I'm feeling mm-hmm. so I'll play stuff that's a little more electroy sometimes bass house I'm happy if I like the track I'm happy to play it um, and then I play a lot of tech house and like party tech, whatever you want to call like, you know, the the big sort of like tech, like techie bangers that are like popular in, in the U S right now. Right. Play a few of those nice. or like stuff on like Solardo's label, mm-hmm. just groovers.
0: Right, right, right. For sure. So when it comes to, I mean, balancing, I mean, do you feel like uh, you're able to put time and you find a lot of fulfillment about having that as a creative outlet? I think a lot of times it's interesting, um, because a lot of people are like working in the music industry and like love music so much that they've dedicated a large part of their professional life towards the industry, but they still are like lacking the actual like creative outlet. I mean, you feel like this really helps you tap deep into that and express yourself that way. Does you being an artist bring a sense of deeper fulfillment to your life by having a creative outlet? Oh
2: yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, why I do it? Like I can't not. I have like this constant like compulsion that I have to like be working on something like mm-hmm. musically. Um, on the flip side, unfortunately, I don't feel like I have it as frequent as I should to if if I was to be able to be like as prolific as one needs to be to sort of like get to the next level. Maybe I could maybe I would if I wasn't so busy. Um, but I wish that I had like the drive to like get home from work every day and work on music for like at least an hour or two. Right. I don't <laughs> I do I not I really
1: don't think that's um that's a bad thing necessarily though. It just depends on what you want out of your career. Like I know somebody who's a manager who makes music every day, like you're saying, but he doesn't release any of it because he just makes it for himself. And he's pretty good, you know. But it's not, his goal isn't to be the next. Brody's talking about himself right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not talking.
0: I would just tell you if I still made music. I wouldn't be ashamed to, to tell you. I was Yo, making the listeners music. keep DMing us asking about when you go and share the, the music from the archives, Jordan. I'm not. <laughs> that's, no, but, that's the answer to that question. Guys, we need everybody that's uh, listening to blow up Jordan's DMs, pressing him for the music. I'm on Every it. Every time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, you have, a, you have another career. You know, it's not it's not like you're coming home every day eating McDonald's, watching TV and not making music. Your willpower is being used for something else very actively. Yeah, so. it's
2: true. So what I'm trying to do is um just use the time that I do have and the time that I find the willpower to set aside to just be really like goal-oriented. Just mm-hmm. like don't waste my time on like an idea that's not going anywhere. Just like try and make like what would be the next best track to come out for me that would like, of course has to be something that I feel like is authentically right. like my mm-hmm. essence and my art. But like, what would be the next best track to come out that would like make my string of releases have like a cohesive narrative to it? Mm-hmm. And like something that people are going to actually play and something that like bangs enough for people to play. Uh, like right now, like I just released a track a few weeks ago. And it hits pretty hard.
1: What's it called? Plug it. It's what's called, it called? airtight. Nice. There we go. It's there on it is. in
2: rotation. There so, it so is. Congrats on that, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. But like now, a couple other works in progress that I have, they are like chiller tracks than that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what's the point? You know, to re- it needs to like be on that level. I need to at least have like a string of things that make sense together for like people to cat like latch
0: on to I feel like. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's that's where my head at. That's awesome. How do you feel like uh what helps you develop your sound? Is it really just like interest based on what you're interested in at the time and what you naturally like called and pulled towards or is there a, a, a more like proactive method, uh method to how you develop your creative sound? Um it's really it's sort of uh I kind of have like a little, little
2: sound. Like I have like uh, some of my tracks fall outside of the outside of the uh, the lane. But like, there's like a good like four or five tracks that really just. And obviously, I'm not I'm biased, but I've had other people like affirm this, um, that they really sort of like. They tie together. And so I guess what I was just talking about, what I want to do, I have already mm. been doing it a little bit, but it's just like, it's taken me years to just put out a handful of tracks. Um, so anyway, point being, I want to follow, I want to keep following that thread. And mm. I don't want to like, I don't want to be like, oh, I need to make something that sounds like, you know, like uh, Green Velvet, or I want I need to make something that sounds like, I'm an edge in Edge and Dance, because they're killing it right now. I I need to make sure I always, uh, or make sure I never take that bait. Mm-hmm. I need to just keep keep following that thread of something that is authentically me that i have I have created on a very small scale. And if I just keep doing that for a long time, maybe it'll get me somewhere <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: does your it. um does your talent buyer part of your brain ever interrupt either in a positive way or a negative way to to your own artistry? Like you like, damn, people ain't gonna like this in the clubs. <laughs> <Like> everybody <laughs> gonna fuck with this. You're gonna dance with this shit. Or people are gonna dance with this shit. You know what I mean? Like.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the talent buying perspective hasn't like I already knew what's, you know, I already have a good had a good sense for like what's gonna be well received in which context musically. Mm-hmm. Um in, in my sort of like. Lane of house music, um, talent talent buying perspective doesn't really change that. Mm-hmm. I guess what help what what changes that is DJing, DJing like lots, mm-hmm. playing lots of gigs over a bunch of years. That's what really gives you that perspective. That's why there's so many producers out there who their DJ sets are just completely like wonky, like discombobulated, up and down, like they lose the energy in the middle. Um, because they they're good producers who like just started learning to DJ because they had the to tour,
0: right? Mm-hmm. What do you, I mean to dive deeper into that? What do you, what are you? What do you think, both as a DJ yourself as well as somebody that like responsible for booking some of the biggest DJs in the world? Um, what are the components of a great set of a great performance? Well, there's
2: many different schools of thought on that. Um. So for me, like my style of DJing is not super outside of the box. It's kind of just like I wanted to like keep you dancing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's why I like I wanted to keep the energy up. And yeah, there should be like some like forays into different like vibes, but like it has to keep the energy up. Mm -hmm. Um. That's not what everybody thinks. I know. I Sometimes I read these like interviews with like Derek Carter or people like that, and it's totally different. He's like, you know, I don't want to quote him, but he's kind of like, you know, I just show up and just do my thing. Like, I'll just like, I'll play the most random shit just to <laughs> fuck with people. And I just like, I tie it together. Right. And it works. And, you know like he he, he's the kind of guy who can do that and he can he can play like he can like drop the energy in the middle people trust him and that's like something that he's built up um so there's just different ways of looking at it um sometimes i have my mind blown by like the things that people do in their sets that i never would have thought
0: of Mm -hmm. Um, and
2: that's nice too yeah for sure
0: when it comes to going back to the talent buying side um negotiations i think we who we were talking about with this certain manager i can't recall who but the notion of um and i mean i was even speaking with an agent at a very reputable agency about like what's the like standard price for this artist what's the standard like booking rate he's like that's just way too blanket of a like there's no <laughs> blanket answer to that question because whether it's a festival dependent upon the market rates are so variable based on all these different factors what are some of um in your experience on the booking side, like what are some of the factors that you press into in order to get a better rate out of people?
2: <laughs>
0: now we're venturing into the like
2: trying to get secrets out of me territory, I think. Yeah, if we don't
0: have to, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to share, you know, these are
2: trades. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm playing. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not like trying to take advantage, right. um, but you need to be cognizant of the different. Factors at play. Um, if it's like a holiday date, the fees going to be inflated. If it's uh, a weekday on a non-holiday week, fees going to be lower. You got to make sure you change that. Like, yeah, a lot of people like. Sometimes people will put in a, 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 an offer for a mutually agreeable date, and uh, they won't specify which day of the week it has to be, and then all of a sudden they confirm it on a Thursday for the same fee that they were trying to pay for a Saturday without thinking about it. Not smart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, let's see what else. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's
0: stuff's super helpful though too. Cause even as a, on the artist side, like if you're getting booked for a Friday, you should be talking like, yo, this is a Friday. I know you got like, this is a big night for you guys. Like, Run it up. (laughs) Well, I think some Mm -hmm. of that stuff though, at least from my
1: perspective, when I was like really early on in my, I mean, I'm still really early on in my career, but some of that stuff you just kind of know, you know, like how many people am I going to be able to get into this room or not me, but my my client, you know, based on what day of the week it is. For sure.
0: But being able to identify specific factors and speak in the direct language of the promoter Mm -hmm. and press into these decision-making factors that you know are on their perspective can really help you, like, negotiate in a very nuanced way. Right. Totally. Right. Yeah. Um If there's, if everybody's aware that
2: there's big competition on that night, same genre of music in the same mm-hmm. city, Um, that could be a case for, as a buyer, like, hey, we'll do the show because you need this date on your tour, but, like, it's risky and we need you to, like, Kind or the deal, deal will be
1: different, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've seen shows with the guarantee was zero. It was oh, well, it was door deal. Yeah, it was just it was just door deal. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like uh, this is like a pretty big risk. But if you're down to do it, we're down to do it. There's a big upside, but mm-hmm. we both have to take that yeah. risk. You
2: know? I like those deals.
0: It's
2: like <laughs> I'm sure beautiful. you do. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not
2: just for me, but like just like
0: on like. For humanity
2: It's just like teamwork Yeah yeah Because yeah, it's on both of you, you know? <laughs> Yeah I feel At like There's point. this
0: like weird issue Where it's uh, Artists don't Take enough ownership In marketing Their own local shows Sometimes They get booked And then it's done Now the marketing Is handed off to the promoter And they hope they sell it out Right but that's Kind of the promoter's job though It depends It depends on
1: what show it is Right? So like Yeah If somebody books uh, Coachella or something like that The artist, it's funny because the artist probably will say they're on Coachella a million times, but Coachella's probably going to sell out no matter what. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, But if it's the first time an artist is playing in Tokyo, Japan, like Mm -hmm. they're going to push that more than, I don't know, a, a city in the middle of their... For in sure. the middle of their tour, yeah. that's not really gonna move. It could, we, 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 you know, some of those shows you could even cancel. So yeah. it's like, how, why, why even push the show if we could cancel it? And not yeah. even like it would barely, it would barely move. It would barely
0: give the artist or the team right. any money anyway. For sure, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's it, just content. Interesting you know? for us, because in my for, opinion, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think it, it does boil down to the specific show and identifying priority shows. And I think even for you guys too, is you guys are like looking to evaluate how much we should pay or if we should book X artist for this big show. It's like. You're looking at, you're not looking at how their show in like random like Oklahoma or this like secondary market did. You're probably checking, I mean, you're booking shows in New York and LA. It's like, how did they perform in other hard ticket shows in those major markets? So, yeah, per your point, Jordan, it's like identifying those those key shows and key markets. And even for Black Coffee and um, like other artists we work with for Black Coffee, like there'll be certain shows where we go so hard, like there's, We're creating original trailers to help promote the show and giving them to the promoters. The promoter can run them as ads. We're running ads on our own perspective. Yeah, for sure. Cause I think it's like, yeah, it is the promoter's job. And I, that's fact, a hundred percent true, but as it's an artist's career and this is a stepping stone. I agree. So you don't want to completely, but you
1: also, you know, you have to, you know, what's your goal for the show? Is the show to sell out and then to get another show? Afterwards, in the same area, or is it to make money from that show because if you put all of this money into marketing,
2: what yeah. what's your green What's yeah, your you're green, building though, something. Like. You're, yeah. you're building something mu- potentially much bigger and totally. much have, with a much bigger payoff later yeah right, Just but, but like, it
1: depends on the it depends on the show, so like I have an
0: artist me who reading is, that.
1: yeah I, it, I have an artist who has a show in omaha nebraska so yeah, yeah, yeah it's like yo program. like.
0: No, for sure. Per our point, it's like identifying what those priority shows are, right? And exactly. then leading into those, and then yeah, and then there's so many factors. It's like you're trying play. to get
1: like, a bag, you're trying to sell it out, like, right?
0: Exactly. And then yeah. <laughs> I think it's like sure. I mean, if if you don't even have the money to reinvest, and you like really need the money off that show, obviously you're not gonna be able to double down there. But yeah, like that point, Charles, like you really are building this foundation that creates more demand where then you can get that much higher booking rates next time around. Like, other promoters yeah. in these secondary markets are, are taking note. They're like, damn, this dude really sold out this venue? I mean, and to your point, like, at
1: some point, you have to be responsible for everything that happens in your artist's career, right? So, like, if yeah. the promoter isn't doing their job, like, you can't just chalk it up to the promoter and do their job. Right, totally. And then, and then you lose that, you lose that, you know, yeah. leverage for the next and even, opportunity. Even, too, from the you know? artist's
0: perspective, too, like, sometimes a lot of it, too, is... Pressing promoters on their marketing plans. Oh
1: no, it's always that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> literally, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: literally, as a, at least from my perspective, what I've done, it's always like, what does the marketing plan look like from the moment we confirm the show? Like, you know, th- sometimes two, three months out from the show, mm-hmm. it's like, what is what does the marketing plan look like? Okay, mm-hmm. we get ticket sales every week, so at the end of every every Friday, if I see this, if I see this market not doing well, I'm like, yo promoter, knock, knock, what does the marketing look like up until the show? What are the right. ads that are going to go out right before the end of the show?
2: Right. You know? It needs to be all hands on deck for yeah. sure, from both sides. Totally. Yeah. Unless it's like Red Rocks, they'd be selling out every
0: show.
1: <laughs> Red, Red, Red Rocks, doesn't, doesn't even matter who's playing. They, they You know, when I was at the venue, they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah we, they, we sell out every night no matter what. <laughs> like We don't even have a marketing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Great the, place to be. Yeah, the stadium is the marketing plan. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. It's
0: beautiful. It's <laughs> fun. Um, what do you think makes a great party some of your favorite experiences getting bigger than just a DJ set but just when it comes to like creating an awesome atmosphere
2: it's getting all the people there or as many as possible to feel as loose as possible not I I don't want to say like wasted loose. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly I don't want to say like,
2: like drunk right, but right, like right. Uh, potentially completely sober but I mean like loose like they're not feeling self-conscious they're feeling connected with everybody else that's there they are there to have a sort of therapeutic session in a way whether they know it or not Mm -hmm. to experiment with just with their bodies and like dancing wise and with just being silly Mm -hmm. being getting weird you know that's sort of a a motif in certain parts of the scene that I very much approve of. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna get weird tonight. Yeah. I think that's what a party is. Yeah. Like it needs to be it needs to look like a different reality than normal everyday society. Totally. It needs to be a space where people can like transform themselves and mm-hmm. then hopefully internalize some of those lessons into their daily life.
0: I love that, man. Very well said. Definitely resonates a lot with some of the, the best events I've been to or it really does. I uh, think we, it's interesting because there's, um, there's an artist that wears a mask and um, <laughs> just anonymizing it a little bit. There's a lot of masked artists. Yeah. But from, <laughs> from, a, from a marketing standpoint, we were actually like brainstorming around what is the, the value of the positioning of this mask? Because sometimes they even throw parties where there's a mask. It's clap tone. They throw the masquerade (laughs) and we were speaking about the, uh, but the fact that people are able to put on a mask to some extent enables you to take off the masks that you're typically wearing in a day-to-day basis, which I think just goes straight to that. Like you're enabling people to peel out these different layers of social conditioning and that they have to act a certain way and, really kind of get in touch with just true expression and this like raw sense of expression and joy and some level of hedonism. But I mean, hedonism in its essence too, to a large extent, is just being like fully present and embracing life for all it is in the very moment. So I think that itself is very powerful. Right. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can be, party. <laughs> and no. it can be
2: so... It's, let's
0: take shots.
2: <laughs> it's funny how simple it can be to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Just hand out masks. Yeah. Like, or just... Send out your, if you're LRO, you send out your characters to just literally get on some stilts and just like shout silly things in the crowd, like amongst yeah. the crowd.
0: Right. And everybody's just like, oh,
2: my God. This is yeah.
0: something- <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true, man. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on, man. Really appreciated this. All super exciting. Um, can you tell people where they can find you online? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, my Instagram is at
2: Charles Meyer official. Um, my Meyer is spelled
0: M-E-Y-E-R. Boom. Check it out. Airtight out now. Um, thank you, man. Yeah. Really appreciate this. Thank you, guys. Well, God damn. <laughs> I knew you was going to say that. <laughs>
1: I knew you was going to say God damn. I almost took it from you. I almost just about to be like, ah, damn. What did you think? No man, it was great. It was great. Like I said, I was really I was really interested in that before he even started speaking. I really don't know how talent buyers think. I also think it's super interesting to put on an event versus booking, trying to be booked for the event. Like I'm usually putting my artists on to events, trying to book them on events. I'm not usually the person that books the artists for the events obviously because I'm from, I come from the management perspective. So mm-hmm. to get to get a viewpoint on the other side of things was super interesting for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. Super grateful that I've had him on. Definitely learned a lot. Focus on building up your fan base. Start playing small shows in local markets. Build that core fan base. Drive streams on your music. And then maybe Charles will book you one day.
1: Yeah, maybe. And take care Take care of your fans that come to the shows. These fans that come to the shows, they're going to be the ones that really drive your ticket sales.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: think something that Charles went over that was really important and that I sort of brought into the conversation is that the touring space is very, how many tickets did you sell the last time you were in this market oriented? Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. Like we talked before, streams, you know, anybody can get on their computer and listen to a song, but it takes a real effort to come in to one of your shows one of your artist shows buy a ticket and actually show up take care of those fans any right. way that you can Totally. any way that you can
0: well as always you guys are our number one fans and we love y'all so <laughs> <laughs> <You> know, I'm, <laughs> all, I'm <laughs> about to cry yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean we just talk about that fans that's so appreciated y'all man we we're talking about fans <laughs> yo, man, we only you, y'all man I oh, feel you all I know y'all alright we out <laughs>